Hey, this is Maggie. And this is James. And you're listening to Directors on Tap. The podcast where we sit down weekly to discuss film industry news, new favorites, and what we're watching. Today, we're talking about our favorite opening scenes. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, should we say something about our, our, our new look for our video that we're lo-fi today? Go ahead. All right, well... Uh, we weren't able to meet up today to record in person, so we're using our we're using Zoom. And as you can see, I have blankets behind me because my room has horrible acoustics, and this probably doesn't even rectify most of the acoustics. Uh, but I got pillows all around me and blankets, so my setup looks ridiculous. Mag's looks a bit nicer, as you can see. I put my my poster. Ooh, good fellas. Right there. It used Ooh. to be on this wall, but I moved it for the the episode. Does that happen to be one of your picks? It was on there, and then I took it off. Oh, so it's it's a it's a it's a what are they called? An honorable mention. I also think this list is not like concrete. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's too Same. hard to pick five. Like Same. I think at least three of mine are concrete, and then the yeah, last yeah. two are up in the up in the air for me. Probably same. Yeah. So speaking of our list. Um, we picked. We each picked five of what we think are our favorite openings. Um, me and Maggie had slightly different approaches. She picked what she thinks are like the best all time. I picked what I think are my personal favorites. Though I wouldn't. I would not say all of these are the best openings in my opinion. They're just ones that really grabbed me personally. Um, so Max, you want to go first? You want to tell them what your first pick is? Um. So my first pick is The Dark Knight. Very good pick. That was one of my 2008. Yep. That was one of my runner ups. All right. So runner ups. Yep. I cut it from the list in favor of something else. How dare you? (laughs) I knew you'd say that. How dare you? I I knew it. That is shameful. Ah, I had some, I had, I had some, it had some good competition. All right. So what's so great about this, this opening scene? I can't believe you. (laughs) Um, well, this has to be one of my favorite opening scenes ever. Um, I think, well, first of all, it begins with the, like, blue tint of the Warner Brothers logo with the reverb drums, and that gives me chills every time, because it's just this, like, sweep across the screen of the logo in this, like, blue and black, dark, contrasty tint, and it goes into that, like, blue smoke that engulfs the camera and fades into black, and then we see the... They like dolly into the building and i remember the when i saw that in the theater it scared the shit out of me <laughs> when he break when the glass breaks on the window yeah um because you like don't expect that they're just zooming into the building all of a sudden and the glass breaks um and i just like jolted from that um and then there's also like the street corner where the joker stands um with his like mask face towards us and um i was thinking about that and i think that was like he's the only that's the only mask we see like that's not on a face Mm -hmm. like all the other ones are on their faces and they never get taken off and that was the only one that you know gets taken on and put on Um, taken on taken on (laughs) put on and taken (laughs) off english Um, (laughs) english it's it's difficult (laughs) Um, um speaking of that mask um I don't know if this was an intentional reference. I'd have to check interviews with uh, the director to see, but I haven't yet. 
Um, but you mentioning it reminded me of it. Do you know what that's a possible reference to in the history of Batman? No. So in the uh, 60s Batman with Adam West, there's an episode where the Joker wears the same mask, or at least a very similar mask to the one that the Joker wears during the bank robbing scene. Hmm. So I, Wait, you know I, what? I think I did see that in like a behind the scenes. Ah, uh, okay. So I, I didn't know if that was an intentional thing or, I mean, if it's not intentional, that's a hell of a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. The, other, the, the, the last thing I was going to say is I love like that right after the um, Joker shoots at the banker, there's this like dolly into his face mm-hmm. um, and he like cocks his head to the side like slowly. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's he such a good moment of direction. Like, yeah. Like that. And it just adds to like the look and feel of the clown mask. It's a beautifully directed moment. Yeah. A beautifully perform- performed moment. Um, it's such like a small thing like yeah i i wouldn't have noticed that the first like few times i watched it but it's like or at least that it would obviously i noticed it but it it didn't like stick with me but like that's such a good Mm -hmm. um that's a good moment especially since since he's wearing a mask obviously body movement becomes so much more important for expression oh yeah 100 percent. yeah and then he nails it um you know with the combination of heath ledger obviously being a very good actor and nolan being a very good director um oh the last thing I actually had about that was that uh-huh. I was like, it's funny because they compare, I think actually the Joker compares himself to a dog later on. Yes. So it's does. kind of like that's oh, like the detail too of where the dog cocks his head. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, maybe that was like a uh-huh. part of that detail. But yeah, to build on some of the things I love about that, uh, that stand out to me the most is one where he talks about like this, the banker says something about like a, criminals like deserve like gotham used to have like better classes of criminals or whatever Mm -hmm. compared to nowadays and the joker like reveals himself as like something different and then later on the joke there's a callback to that where the joker says like this town deserves a better class of criminal and i'm like i love that that and just the no 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 i killed the bus driver oh wait i wrote that and then (sighs) boom yeah literally (laughs) that's what i wrote down actually that was my last line one of my he's like no 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 i killed a bus driver no, 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 no. I killed a bus driver. Bus driver? What bus driver? And then the he guy's says, like, bus driver? What bus driver? And then he goes <laughs> yeah. right through the entrance. Golden. Yeah, it's so good. Such a good moment. So good. Oh, I love how he actually, there's that too, yeah. which is kind of part of the like cocking his head, um, where he's saying, no, 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 I killed a bus driver. The camera's like moving around like this. Mm-hmm. And it's doing like a side um, pan around the the other uh, clown. Yeah. And the Joker's moving in the opposite direction. Oh, he's like stepping out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah. like doing like a kind of the same thing, but kind of the same as cocking your head, but he's doing it like with his body. Yeah, he's like, yeah. It's like a good moment of like, once you've seen the scene, it's you're like, oh, he's anticipating the bus about to burst through the wall. Yeah. Like, no, I also used to think uh, that he was trying to position the other guy to get in front of the, oh, that, the yeah. bus, too. I didn't think of that either. That's yeah. Yeah. Damn. All right. I guess that does that wrap up our thoughts on the Dark Knight opening scene? Or we got more? No, that's it. I just that's think it? it's a great opening scene. All right. Um, so my first pick was Apocalypse Now. I don't know. Have you seen Apocalypse Now, Maggie? Yeah, I wa- I uh, watched it in my sound editing class last year. 
uh, same. That's that's. Uh, I think. No, wait. I'd seen it before that, but I remember watching it in my sound sound design. Um, I the thing that ma- I absolutely loved the I guess just the artistry of it. I just fell in love with the all the the fade ins and the matching with like the propeller sounds go- going over top of the fan, and then just the voiceover with the proximity effect, mm-hmm. and um, that actually inspired. Um, a lot and i actually gave it in in the the notes that i gave to the actor the uh, short film version of shut out the storm that i made um where i basically just told him i was like um my friend chris who was starring in it i was like i was like you've seen apocalypse now right and he's like yeah i'm like you know the opening dialogue or monologue and he's like yeah i'm like do that <laughs> and uh because i yeah i i love the whole feel of it and the way it transitions from like the super just abstract shots of the slow motion explosions in the forest and then goes into just, you know, we're in his room. That's so seamless and beautifully well done. Um, and with the music and it could have easily went for a spectacle, but it's so, especially because what we're seeing is very much spectacle, but the way it's presented is so restrained and um, cautiously and carefully presented as opposed to like, whoa, check out all these huge in your face explosions, which can be a lot of fun, but it's just, impressive that something so that so would obviously lean itself to that type of intro was instead taken in such a a slow like careful opening and i just every time i see it i just fall in love with it uh coppola is just i mean he also did the godfather obviously which uh, was one of the things that almost got on my list, but his just be- beautiful restraint Coppola tends to have, and yeah. Oh, and I also um, okay. That sort of reminds me of this interview that I saw of him, an interview clip. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of just like the restraint and how high artistry that opening is, where it's it's very obviously trying to be beautiful as much as it can. Um, of this interview of him when he's on the set of that movie and he's talking about being pretentious in filmmaking. And he says, he says like, uh, he's like, oh, poor filmmakers. You know, one of the worst things you can do is to be pretentious. And he's like, but he goes like, he says, he's like, here's the thing. You try so hard to make something really, really mean something really good. And if you fail, then you're pretentious. And that's the worst thing ever. But if you, if you pull it off, then you made something great. And it just makes me think of that opening. Cause like, if that, if it wasn't as well done as it was, then it would have obviously come off as just like, wow, this is trying too hard, but yeah. he did it. Um, I guess that's all I have to say about that. I, I'm trying to remember the part where the, the fans become the um the propellers like is isn't there a shot where it's like pulling up from the bed and you see the the fan at the top and then it turns yeah Yeah. i loved that part Mm -hmm. especially because the sound effect the sound effect of the helicopter comes in really like slowly and it Mm -hmm. gets really intense yeah Um, Um, and just really Mm -hmm. like sells it that that fan is becoming the helicopter um i don't know why that that you mentioning the hell going over the helicopter thing again specifically reminded me of this but a fact about that opening scene is uh he was actually drunk when they were filming that when he punched the mirror he actually punched a real mirror and cut his hand open oh that i knew (laughs) yeah um him breaking down into tears was also real because Mm. he was dealing with some personal crap yeah (laughs) so uh 
yeah, he basically just showed up on the set, um, not in a good state. And then Coppola was like, we're going to use this. And he was like, I can do this. And uh, Sheen was also like, I can do this. And uh, again, another interview I saw with Coppola where he was like, he said he, he almost felt like he had to cut it. But he knew that Sheen would be pissed if he did cut it because he was like, he was like, I don't feel right recording this. But it's <laughs> like, but yeah, uh, that's kind of tough, actually. But it definitely helps the uh, mm-hmm. the like, I don't know, like the authenticity of it. Exactly. Because it was it was real. It's, it's like, yeah. like, like Leonardo in uh, Django Unchained when he cuts his hand open in that dinner scene. It's like it just knowing that it's it just comes across so much more real because it is real yeah Uh, yeah there's a lot of real stuff in that movie like they actually killed an animal not for the movie it just happened to be happening and they recorded it um but yeah all right i think that's all i have to say about apocalypse now's intro so what's your next pick my next one is mission possible three oh all right this is this speaking of action intros yeah well it's not that action filled though well, Mission Impossible in general, but yeah. Oh, okay, okay yeah. yeah. But the opening scene, yeah, this one, if you're not, even if you're not a fan, this is still considered, like, it was on a lot of the lists that I was looking at, but it might be, a like, a surprise to some people. Um, but if you are a fan of this series, like, you know, it's, like, one of the best openings ever. Um, especially because, okay. Well, hold on, describe the opening for people who haven't seen it. Wait, you didn't, you didn't describe your opening. I thought I didn't. I say like no. there's like the fan, there's the fade in with the fan and the bombings and. Anyway, well, okay, we we kind yeah. of like touched on certain points that we like, but okay, All right, give, I give us broad strokes. It. Um, well, it begins with Ethan in like strapped down to a chair, and across from him is this woman who you assume to be his wife and she's got her mouth duct taped shut she's in a chair also strapped down and then um wait i want to make sure i it's seymour hoffman right yes seymour i just yeah. want to make sure i said that right okay yeah. um he's he's got a gun to her head and he Ethan's like saying I can get you the rabbit's foot and you don't know what that is at that point it's just a code name um and eventually Seymour often just starts counting down from or counting up to 10 and it just progressively gets more intense and intense as like Ethan tries to reason with him and in the end he well actually I have it in my notes he like the way they like keep like screaming at each other and telling each other what they're going to do, like mm-hmm. Ethan screams like, "I swear to God, I'm going to kill you," and then Seymour so Hoffman's intense. like, "Yeah, Seymour Hoffman's like seven, eight, <laughs> and then um, there's just like so more, so many ways you could mm-hmm. deliver like these one word lines, but Seymour Hoffman is just like terrifying." <laughs> I swear to God, I'm gonna kill you. Eight. Yeah, I was just say it really helps that they're both really good actors, especially yeah. Seymour Hoffman. Like he was, he's great at that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Um, 
yeah at the at the end ethan is like he's saying he like kind of accepts that he he has nothing left to like get him to stop so he's just like shaking his head and he's like no like no Mm -hmm. and he's you just like see this tear drip down his eye and then um davian or seymour hoffman just looks at him with this like straight face like it's like the easiest thing he's ever done he's just like 10 and like (laughs) then like it cuts to the opening uh title sequence Mm -hmm. and with that um theme music so iconic theme music yeah it's so good so good good. yeah extremely yeah the the apps i mean we already said it but just like the absolute intensity of their back and forth and the performances and also the way it's shot um super intense super especially in terms of if like the stuff that's happening it it feels very actiony even though there's not a lot of action in the strict sense happening it's just people yelling at each other but it's so well rendered in an action format i guess is the way to put it yeah and it's also because like seymour hoffman's not he doesn't have any lines where he's saying like like ethan's like is that not what you wanted? Like, I got what you wanted. And he doesn't say, like, mm-hmm. what it is or doesn't give him any information. He just keeps counting up to 10. He's like, five. Like, does not stop. That's all he says is, like, counts up to 10. Yeah. So it just makes it even more intense because there's just, there's no reasoning. Yeah, it's it's more um, ominous and foreboding, I guess, threatening. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, like, there's so many, obviously, so many callbacks to it because that's uh, builds up to the climax exactly later on yeah beautiful (laughs) i love that movie it's one of my favorite movies speaking of favorite movies uh take a guess at what my second pick was 2001 of course (laughs) all right so i had to pick this for being one of the most impactful uh openings i ever saw because i very very distinctly remember the first time watching it um i remember like constantly hearing people saying like um like film people always like directors specifically always saying like oh it's it's so beautiful it's got all these amazing moments and like scorsese and spielberg in particular really really freaking hype up this movie which it deserves and um and i remember at the time my all-time favorite film was the godfather which is now probably number two in my all-time favorites and i just remember the opening sequence the music starts we start to fade in no it's not even a fade in it's it's just dark we see like nothing and then the camera moves up and we see these planets are aligned and the sunlight tilts out from the back. And then it hits up with the music. It's like, duh, duh. And then a Stanley Kubrick production. I'm just thinking, and I remember the exact moment, the first time I watched it going, Godfather's in trouble. <laughs> like that was the exact thought that went through my head, like 15 seconds into the title sequence of this movie with this opening shot. And just that opening, whenever I see it, I just, I'm just like, I need to, like, it inspires me to make something that good. Just with that insane opening with the planets and it being aligned and how well-timed to the music, the credits are with the, the centered composition with the leading lines back towards the center. Um, and it's just, and it fits thematically with going through space and how 
our characters are moving the opposite. Anyways, it's just great. I love it. Just that opening and then how that leads into um, the... Yeah, isn't there the bone? Yeah, so that that happens at the about 40 minutes into the film, I think. Oh. Um, So that's because that goes from space and you're expecting this huge like, oh, we're in space. Amazing. We're going to be in the future. And then it's like 40,000 BC. Let's go. (laughs) 400,000, whatever it is. Dawn of Man sequence. Yeah. And that the way it just goes into that so well. um, I I love it. Love it. One of the best things. the composition, every shot is so beautiful. One of the main things for me um, is just cinematography. Like I, if a movie's pretty, even if it's trash, if it's pretty, I will watch the whole thing. And so, uh, that's but, a very that's yeah, not a very popular comment from a filmmaker. No, that's the thing. I it doesn't mean that I'll think it's a good movie. I'm just pointing out that that's how much I enjoy cinematography. Is that I'll be willing to watch a bad movie for the sake of watching the cinematography and just to appreciate it's usually the, the opposite actually it's like even if it doesn't look pretty if uh-huh. the story's there that's yeah. what makes it see i can i can usually handle that like but it's just i mean I'll, like that works for me too if the story's there and the cinematography subpar this it'll really annoy me but i'll still watch it for the story but i'll also just watch for the cinematography um but the fact that 2001 has such strong thematic representation in its cinematography all the way from every shot looking like a painting. It's just, I love that opening sequence. Even though nothing particularly happens, we just watch space, then we see some monkeys doing monkey stuff um, and it looks beautiful and it's all thematically stuff. Maggie hasn't seen the movie, so she can't give that much input, but. I love how you just throw that in there right at the end. Well, I, I wanted to explain, like, if they were like, how come Maggie's not commenting more? And it's like, well, she hasn't seen it. So, yeah, what she needs to. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's all I have to say about it. Otherwise, I'll I think go that's on how I feel about Blade Runner, actually, the remake. Yeah, it looks pretty, but I didn't like it. Yeah. So, yeah, same. I was like, the script for the new Blade Runner is kind of a mess. Like, not kind of is a mess. I but fell it's asleep. Very pretty. So, yeah. There's your answer. There you go. Yeah. I, I never fall asleep in theaters ever mm-hmm. and i fell asleep during that movie i fell asleep watching rogue one not because not oh, because yeah. i was i was I just very I... tired i woke up for the darth vader scene though and i was so happy about that that was such a good thing to wake I up i think to. i did fall asleep in one of the star more star wars movies yeah i saw You're... force awakens and that i loved that i think mm-hmm. i did fall asleep in the one that was after that Oh, The Last Jedi? That's fine. That's trash anyways. I know that's a controversial statement to make, but it's trash. I was also very tired. I was like, I couldn't keep my eyes open. Uh-huh. It was a late movie, too. Anyways. Um, all right, moving on. Yep. Okay. All right, so my next pick is Up. Oh, Up. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so sad, you know? Because it's sad. <laughs> heart um yeah this is like such a well-known opening scene like everyone knows this scene and everyone knows the the, uh theme song Mm -hmm. um it might be one of the saddest opening scenes ever (laughs) one of the best told love stories ever put to cinema and it's in in the short it's such a short amount of time (laughs) yeah um yeah i I think what makes the scene great is the score and the callbacks the, to the memories that are shared in the opening scene later on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Like we see them painting the mailbox, like reading a book hand in hand, uh, cloud watching. And then those things are called back to later on in the movie, which is always nice to see. Um, the other thing, I, I rewatched the opening scene earlier just so I could um, remember everything. And there's something that stuck out was that like he buys the plane tickets for the trip um, that they've been saving up for. And then that's when they cut to the shot of Ellie waking up, little waking up, walking <laughs> up the hill and she can't make it up. Um, and then that's where like the, they like kind of break down the score and it gets really um, like, what's the word? Emotional? I was going to say, yeah, well, no, emotional, obviously emotional, but it's like they break it down. It's not as um, upbeat. Mm -hmm. And so then they like transition into her getting old um, and it's like kind of her her time to go. And um, the shot that really <laughs> made me sad was um when carl is sitting at the steps of the altar and the casket is gone and he just has one balloon in his hand mm -hmm. and it's just like dark around him and it's like one it's shot so where it's sad. like the 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 seats are like framing the shot inwards uh -huh. and it's just him like by himself with one balloon and he's just got the saddest look on his face and that uh it it's so good and it's so heartbreaking <sighs> Yeah, it's and like the way the, I love the way they set up, like, I think part of the thing that makes it work so well is like their sort of contrast, like even though they're both adventure like sh the contrast between him being much more reserved and like mm -hmm. her being the more like outgoing one. I just that contrast, I think, helps to it, too, especially with him being the one that's left, because uh, if it was the other way around where he was the more outgoing one, um, it would what's the way to put it? It would be character-wise more, less solemn and more noisy if he was more, if he was the one who was upbeat after, because mm -hmm. then it's sort of like, oh, the up the upbeat um, quirkiness, um, spont spontaneity is sort of gone. Yeah. And I think that it's more, that's more of a feeling for the audience, a more visible difference than it would have been if they made him the more upbeat one mm -hmm. and he was still left. I think him being more reserved too is like, it shows that, like, obviously you can tell that they've been together a long time, but they they know each other. Like, they know how each other, like, she knows how he works. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, like, things where, like, she's tying his tie or she's, like, helping, I forget which, what she's doing, but she's helping him do something where, like, usually he would get, like, frustrated, but because it's mm -hmm. her that's helping him, it's, oh, like, it? they know each other. Yeah. Um. It, it like, establishes that they, they, mm -hmm. they take really care of each are, other. like, one. Yeah. yeah yeah it's yeah. oh it's, such a, it's, it's so good it's so good uh, makes me cry yeah cry every time <laughs> <laughs> literally oh man what else is there to say about it uh it's just so good it's so well edited too like they don't there's no um nothing unnecessary that made it into the final edit like i'm sure yeah. they had more stuff that the editor cut out and good on them for it because even though i'm sure it would have been good stuff it's just it's so well paced and you we know, don't I think yeah I think they probably if I'm going to guess I think they might have had more shots of um her um like dying 
Yeah, probably. And like maybe at the doctor's office or something, because mm-hmm. we just see the one shot of the doctor's office, and it's just a, it's just a. Yeah, with the miscarriage. Going like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that too. Like that, it was. Yeah, like normally, I feel like a lesser edited film would have lingered on that way more, mm-hmm. um, which wouldn't have necessarily been bad. It just wouldn't be as good. I actually, I that's totally true because I think a, another movie would probably have that same shot, but then they would cut to like. At like a medium or close-up of the doctor saying something, mm-hmm. even with no audio. But I mean, yeah, yeah. they just had that and, one shot. And the fact that we're looking through like a doorway and we're, it's like, it adds to that sort of separated feeling of mm-hmm. it. Like you're, you're watching and you can't hear what's being said either. Yeah. Um, it sort of puts you into their framework. Like they just had a loss and you're, you feel separated from them just like they feel separated from their dead kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sad. Very sad. <laughs> it's so sad. Extremely. Um, all right, let's move on to something All else. right, moving on to happier <laughs> stuff. Let's see, what was my next pick? So my next pick was another uh, Kubrick film. Uh, this intro, uh, the soundtrack itself just gets me hyped because it immediately makes me think of the opening sequence. Um, Barry Lyndon. You mentioning the Warner Brothers logo in The Dark Knight reminded me of this because this also starts with the Warner Brothers logo. Um, it uses a briefly used logo uh, that's just bright red. And so the music starts and it's, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the composition, but it's like, it's super intense, like um, 17th century, just like do, 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 do. And like the logo starts and then it like flies towards the screen and it gets super intense. And then it starts with like the opening credits and the fancy text timed up to the music. And then it says the part one, and then that goes into um, the narrator being like, Barry something Lyndon and his father and all this. And it has like this funny quip in it, but it's played like super straight. And then we just see this, and it's this close up of this flintlock pistol being um, loaded and getting ready for a duel. And then it just starts slowly zooming out and slowly zooming out and slowly zooming out. And you're like, when does the zoom out end? And you're like, this is like four different shots. How is this lens this zoomy? And it, but it goes from a super close up to the loading a flintlock to this super far wide shot all in one continuous zoom. And then after all this drama and the, the, the serious narration, um, the guy that he just spent all this time hyping up just gets shot and dies right there. And uh, I just, the combination of I amazing, I think just objectively is a great, extremely well executed opening, but also I just, that music in particular also just gets me hype, especially with then the contrast of going from such a serious opening to just like a, a dinky, like, oh, be good shot, moving on <laughs> type thing. Um, love it. And it's just beautifully shot. Every, um, if you guys haven't seen Barry Lyndon, Every single frame is literally purposely looks just like um, like a, a 17th century painting. No, actually 16th century painting because it'd be the 1700s. Um, wait, no, 18th century. Ah, I'm, brain is not working. Point is, it looks one of, you know, people say movies look painterly, but you could literally show someone a sh- any given shot from Barry Lyndon and I, they'll probably assume it's a painting. It's so well done and so beautifully composed, shot with almost all natural lighting. There's some exceptions where they had to make windows look like it was brighter outside than it was, but 
Um, Cooper insisted on using as much natural and candlelight as they could. So everything, nothing looks artificial. You can actually see the lighting in the sky changing as the clouds move. Um, beautifully done all together just with that opening sequence. Um, everything's beautiful about it and I love it. <laughs> Gets me hyped to listen to the music for it. All right. I think also Maggie yeah, hasn't seen that either. Ha! Ah, we got to do a Kubrick marathon. Okay. Um, anyways, Max, what's your next? Um, pick? I definitely like those kind of shots though, where they're like, mm -hmm. you're saying they it was a zoom. It's 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 uh, he actually had a custom built zoom lens. It goes from, I think it went from, is it four? It went from like fourteen to four hundred. I think it went from basically extremely extremely fisheye wide to hyper zoom. Um, yeah, that definitely builds yeah. tension. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kubrick over his career had a lot of lenses custom built for him, and that was one of them because he was like, "I want to zoom." <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, he had several custom built lenses for that movie. He also had NASA build him one that would allow him to shoot in candlelight because they didn't have the technology for that at the time. So he was like, "The people at NASA like me for 2001. I'm gonna pull a favor." <laughs> and he, <laughs> but yeah, so that's all I have to say about the opening for Barry Lyndon. So your next pick, Max. Um, my next one is Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> oh, that was another one that was a runner-up on my list. Um, uh, well, I picked it for you then. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to say about it. Um, I think the the dynamic that is. Oh, I guess I should explain a little bit, except I don't know everything about the. Mm -hmm. So. Hans, it's Hans Landon, Landa, Landa. I can't remember. I think it's Landa. It's Hans something. I think it's Landa. Okay, Hans. So what? He's a. He's in the SS, isn't he? SS, I think. Right? Yeah. So he's coming to what is it's Pierrier, I think Pierrier. I don't know the name of the town. I think it's like Lapad Lapadite. Mm -hmm. Some something French place. Like that. No, that's the guy's name. Yeah, but it's in they're in France, aren't they? Yeah, but I'm saying yeah. that was the guy's name that he went to the house. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's hiding. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> the, the, maybe you should explain that <laughs> just like the premise. Uh, I mean, I'm not good he's... with that. All right. So this dude is uh, hiding uh, Jews in his basement, uh, yeah. you know, because World War Two <laughs> and uh the Nazis show up and they're like, uh, we've been suspecting that you're uh, hiding some Jews. And he was like, oh, no, 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 not at all. And uh, I can't remember what they do to figure it out. Oh, no, he already. Oh, you know what? OK, he I thought he already knew. And also mm -hmm. someone said in the YouTube comments of the scene that he when he goes to grab the girl's hand or something, mm -hmm. he's actually checking her pulse. Oh, that's and it I'll was racing. The scene. So mm -hmm. that's how he knew that they were hiding them. Gotcha. I don't know if that's true, but that's that would be pretty cool if that was it. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like the dynamic between Hans and I think it's Pierre. Pierre. French dude. It's P E R R I E R. <laughs> you don't pronounce the R. I don't. I don't speak it? French. I don't know. <laughs> It's like Pierre. I'm just going to say Pierre. Mm -hmm. um, and like Hans seems like super genuine at first and he's just like having fun. He's a likable monster. Yeah, <laughs> he, but he already knows the outcome. 
Yeah. Um, and he's he like says things like, "Oh, make yourself comfortable. It's your house." Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, like very very quickly, switches to something like serious and terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes from like being a smiley, like happy person to immediately straight face mm-hmm. and intimidating. And, and yeah, no, you go. Sorry, you keep going. Um. And, uh, what was I going to say? Just go. <laughs> All right. I was going to say um, he's a really good example of how good um, Tarantino is at uh, basically making horrible things likable, whether it's good characters doing horrible things, but in a way that's uh, that you find yourself rooting along with. Like, for example, in uh, um, uh, what was his last Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he like he's bashing this teenage girl. I mean, granted, they were murderers, attempted murderers, but he's like bashing her face in oh, at, yeah. after she's already clearly dead. And it, like in the moment, you're kind of like, like as he starts, you're like, yeah, like hell yeah. And then you're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, oh, I, um, like thinking about that right now is making yeah. me. Oh, I remember him hitting. Uh, he went like this to the fireplace with her yeah, head. Yeah, he, like cracked that's her exactly. Head open. Yep. And, oh my god, I hated that. Yeah, I couldn't watch it. That opening scene, though, is a good example of Tarantino just being able to take you along like that with his writing and directing, where it starts off and you're like, oh, I kind of like this terrible person. And then you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hold the phone. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I literally couldn't watch that. I was like, <laughs> yeah. He's, Tarantino's very good at that. And he definitely shows it in that opening scene and in many yeah. other places. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I just really like that scene. Like, mm-hmm. he, Hans just makes, um, I really wish I knew how to pronounce that name. Pure, pure. Frenchman. <laughs> just call him the Frenchman. Okay, yeah, the Frenchman. Okay, so, yeah. I just like that he, he makes him feel like everything's gonna be okay. And then, to, like, he just takes that away in a millisecond. Mm-hmm. Um, with this one line where he, um... He says like he's like you won't be punished you'll you'll actually be rewarded. It's like he's like it's quite the contrary you'll be rewarded, and um, then he it cuts to the Frenchman's face and they're doing this like slow dally in, and it's it probably lasts like ten seconds, mm-hmm. and it just keeps going in and you can just see the like tear in his eyes, and he doesn't. I think he at that point he's like actually confused like he's like I don't know if to believe if he's mm-hmm. if everything's gonna be okay or if this is I'm gonna die or something um and then they cut back to Hans and he's like you're sheltering enemies of the state aren't you <laughs> and, then, and it's just it's like so twisted to like very... get the information out of the French and then like right after this line they cut to his facial expression of like that dolly in mm-hmm. um and he's like he's probably thinking like oh this this can't be right i can't get away with this that easily um but yeah yeah like after he knows what he's doing what hans is like Up after to- hans says he knows what he's doing the frenchman's mm-hmm. doing um he i don't know he just like what what's his name the actor oh oh uh um the guy who plays hans you mean yeah uh christoph waltz i think yeah 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 um i can't believe i remembered that so he just he just wins (laughs) at making oh he's a very good actor uh he just makes it so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and anxious it's just he's so good he's very good at playing like slimy too like yeah. 
his uh yeah he's very um like in that scene he's very cheerful he's just like mm-hmm. oh everything's okay like life's great yeah. I, this is so easy for me i'm just here like drinking my milk uh and then just, just immediately has this like straight face and he's like you're hiding and you're hiding uh enemies of the state aren't you you're sheltering enemies of the state are you not You shall bring them underneath your floorboards, aren't you? Yes. Point out to me the areas where they're hiding. Um, but yeah, that's it's so good. I love, very, very I love how long it is too. It just builds that tension. Up. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Tarantino's yeah. great at building tension. I mean, like oh, if, yeah. if there's any director who's great at combining tension with making you like things you shouldn't like even for a moment definitely tarantino yeah i think a lot of directors are afraid to do that when they linger Mm. on stuff because they think like it's just going to ruin the pacing or something Mm -hmm. but with tarantino it it definitely builds the tension yeah exactly it it doesn't it doesn't hurt at all that his dialogue is amazing too so yeah yeah. Uh, oh yeah of course so extremely good at writing so good oh now that makes me think about once upon a time oh yeah dialogue in that was great he's everything he writes has amazing dialogue that's like his that's his i'd say that's his strongest suit like like his other other aspects of his writing are obviously very good but his dialogue is top tier dialogue um yeah um I, i love that it's like theatrical dialogue too it's not um it's not he doesn't attempt to do realism dialogue he he's very much in the tradition of theatrical elevated dialogue and he does it Mm -hmm. in a way that's not cheesy or bad he does it in a way that's like oh that sounded so cool (laughs) i was trying to look up um hold on hold on Mm -hmm. the um I can't find it, but the the scene the, in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where mm-hmm. it's like towards the end where he he's high off his ass and, <laughs> and he's back at his house mm-hmm. and the um, oh what's his name uh, played by Austin Butler I don't remember his name the guy I with the long remember. hair yeah uh, walks in and he says something about a devil yeah he's he like, says he's like who who are you and he's like I'm the devil. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, no, it's something. It was something, something stupider uh, than that. Than that, yeah. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> and then he's so like, he, and then he's like, goes like this, and he's like coming up with different names. Yeah. Oh, oh that was such good, good dialogue. <laughs> something stupider than that. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. Um, speaking of amazing dialogue, my, that leads into my next pick: uh, the opening scene of Sunset Boulevard. I can't remember if we have you seen Sunset Boulevard. So no, but um, so Suns- Sunset Boulevard. Do you know the premise of it? It's about a, a screenwriter, and the screenwriter is the narrator. So it gives us an excuse to have very lofty dialogue in the narration. Oh, you know what? I was supposed to watch this for a class, but we never did. Oh, oh, damn! You missed out on an amazing opening scene. So we see like the police coming towards. Uh, they're all rushing towards somewhere, right? And then this, this, it's like the epitome of like noir type openings. We see the police coming in. There's like the very, there's the proximity effect, low talking like this narration. And they, you see, they rush over. They're at this big old, old, old Hollywood money house. 
um, like from the golden age. And there's this pool and they're just all taking photos of this dead body floating in the pool. And then we cut to the shot looking up through the water at the body, like that's looking down at us. And we see all the people above him and the narrator's talking and um, they, it's revealed the, the narrator is the guy in the pool who's dead. And it's like, whoa, grand. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Um, and the way he like, he's self-deprecating too in his description, it's so good at the, that noir like um, bleakness. Cause he's like, oh, he's just a, a s- aspiring screenwriter with a couple B movies to his name. And it's like, it's so epitome of noir. It's great, such a good opening. Um, and if I ever, whenever I'm trying to write anything that has a noir type of feel to it, that's my go-to for attempting to emulate is that opening scene right there. Um, and I know there's a lot of other great noir films to pick from and that maybe you could, you could even argue that that um, Sunset Boulevard's not noir. You could make that argument. But that opening though, that that is the epitome of what I would consider noir. You'll read about it in the late editions, I'm sure. You'll get it over your radio and see it on television. Because an old-time star is involved. One of the biggest. But before you hear it all distorted and blown out of proportion, before those Hollywood columnists get their hands on it, maybe you'd like to hear the facts. Um, You just reminded me of another movie, and I don't know the name of it. Mm-hmm. It... It, I don't know what decade it was, but it was black and white, and they're like it's a one shot of them driving down the street. Oh, um, that's a uh, is that that's not Touch of Evil. That's um, what is that? What's that called? Yeah, I know exactly that, and it just keeps following. It's like the super yeah, long and then at the shot. end there's an explosion. What is that? Is that? Is that? I tried to look it up. I can't find it. Um, uh, I'm gonna look up long shot opening classic I know, that's film. what i put in explosion what is that movie oh my gosh it's uh what it's, is that oh workmeister harmonies came up that speaking of long takes and black and oh workmeister harmonies isn't black and white but long takes workmeister harmonies so good every single shot's a long take in that film um anyways uh what was it what was it Not what was that What's the name of that movie? Damn it! It's on the tip of my tongue. It is Touch of Evil. Damn it! Yeah, I got yeah, it right. I think it, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is Touch of Evil. Okay. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> that one reminded me of it for some reason. Yeah. No. Yeah, I see the similarities. Um, yeah. yeah touch, I can't believe I got the title right and didn't realize I got the title right. I was well, like, I is it Touch watch of Evil? That, that scene. Oh yeah. We'll Anyways, watch it right after. I really like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, is, you want to make that an addendum? Insert sixth pick, Touch of Evil. <laughs> no, no, that wouldn't go on that list. But all right, yeah, same. Um, I think that'd be objectively something that deserves to be on the top, but it just didn't. Isn't one of my favorites. Yeah. Anyways, your turn. <laughs> um. Okay, my last one is The Matrix. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I didn't yeah, think of that. So. I didn't think of it before, but then I was like, I was watching it again. I was like, yeah, this this was really good. Um, it starts off with this green tint of the Warner Brothers logo. So it's kind of like almost, um, it's almost the like, uh, what is the word? 
it's kind of the same as the dark knight one it's just with the green Mm -hmm. tint um and then there's this like omniscore and the slow zoom into like the code going vertically up and down um and then the voiceover comes in with trinity and cypher is everything in place you weren't supposed to relieve me i know but i felt like taking a shift you like him don't you you like watching him don't be ridiculous we're gonna kill him you understand that morpheus believes he is the one do you it doesn't matter what i believe you don't do you did you hear that hear what are you sure this line is clean yeah, of course I'm sure. Um, and she she says stuff like, "Are you sure this line is clear?" And Cipher's saying, "We're gonna kill him," and then she's like, "He's the one," um, or she says, "Morpheus says he's the one," or something like mm-hmm. that. And it's so intriguing. Like they're saying these things, and you have no idea what's going on. But when you say stuff like that, it's so dramatic. And you're just yeah. like, I gotta know what's going on, especially with the music. The music is so good. Really draws you in. Yeah, definitely. Especially the music with the the zoom in, like that mm-hmm. just adds to it. Because um, it's visually pulling you in as it's enticing yeah. you. The the literally the score and the zoom in like match up. Like even mm-hmm. if you didn't have the visual, and you just had the score, yeah. I would just envision a zoom in. <laughs> exactly. Um and. It just makes it so freaking good. And and the last thing I was going to say was the sound effects of the numbers. They're like mm-hmm. synths. Mm-hmm. And we as they like zoom into the this one number, I think it's like a zero. And they're zooming into the zero and you actually go into the zero where it's like multiplied mm-hmm. um, through the data. And it just gets you hooked right away. It's, it's so good. good. I loved yeah. it. Extremely. Yeah. It gives you, it, it gets you prepared for what you're about to experience. Oh, yeah. 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 It's nothing compared to what you're about to see. But <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're, you're it's going, just oh, so. You're going down the rabbit hole through the, through the, oh, through the, through the zero. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a rabbit uh, Oh, you know what? That's probably intentional. <laughs> I didn't even think of that until you were just describing it right well, there. Yeah, that's totally intentional. Yep. yep. Damn. <laughs> right. Revelations. This is what this is what people subscribe that for. These hard hitting observations. <laughs> All right. Oh, um, so good. Do we have anything else to add about that? Um, Let me think. I think that last realization just blew my mind. <laughs> How well, you know what? I'm gonna goes. I'm gonna play the the scenes like parts of the scenes for when we're talking over gotcha. them. So I'll, I'll throw the Matrix one in there for the. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So do I go to my next one? All right. My fifth and final pick is one that. I don't think I would count as one of the objectively best openings, but it's one of the most recent films that the opening, I was like, oh, I am so on board with this. Uh, was And Maggie can probably predict what I'm about to say, The Lighthouse. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely didn't think that would be on your list. Yeah, like I said, objectively, it's a good opening, but I don't think it's like one of the best, objectively speaking. But I remember in the theaters, the second it, like the opening registered, with me, I was like, I am so on board. <laughs> so I did not realize going into this film that it would be 1.33, which is, uh, this is gonna sound weird. It's one of my favorite aspect ratios. Nosferatu was shot in 1.33 and that's one of my favorite films of all time because um, the cinematography in Nosferatu is beautiful and the lighthouse cinematography is beautiful. Um, but from the opening where it's just black screen and at this point you have no clue what the aspect ratio is because it's just white text, black screen, the lighthouse. 
And then it starts to fade in with like the fog horn and it's like, and then you realize it's fading in and you're like, this is 1.33. This aspect ratio hasn't been used in like 90 years. Uh, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm so on board. I am so ready for this. And then it goes into um, some extremely well-composed shots of uh, the boat coming into the island. And then when you see them getting on the island and it's all very, very, very meticulously composed, very reminiscent of, um, well, like I said, of like FW Murnau. And that's probably why I like The Lighthouse so much is because I'm a, F.W. Murnau is one of my favorite directors and The Lighthouse gives me F.W. Murnau vibes. It seemed, it feels like something he would make if he was still alive and hadn't died in like the 30s or did he die in the 40s? Basically, he was, you know, long gone. He was making films in the 20s. So, um, but uh, that opening, just because it gave me such strong vibes as one of my favorite directors who obviously hasn't made a film in like 80 years, um, immediately hooked me. As soon as I recognized what the aspect ratio was that it, all of that, I just immediately 100% with the foghorn there being like, giving us that tone, immediately fell in love. <laughs> I was like, like I said, when you really analyze it, it's not an amazing opening. It's just a good opening, a very good opening. Probably not, definitely not one of the best of all time at all. Just, it just happened to hit me in all the right ways. <laughs> it happened to have all the things I love, which made me immediately fall in love with it. Um, and so, yeah. It, Tickled my fancy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't seen it. But yes, unfortunately. I I think I've seen like stills of it and mm-hmm. probably like a um, few seconds of some scenes, but it seemed like there was a lot of um, like up angled shots oh, and yeah. and like the the cinematography was really cool because they it looked very terrifying with like yes. the. Were there a lot of like lightning strikes or there's some lightning strike where it hits his face or something? So there's, well, I can't say what that is without spoilers. So, okay. Well, yeah. that's not what I was, I wasn't trying to get into it. I'm yeah. just saying that the, yeah. the, it looks terrifying. Oh yes. I, um, even though, like I said, I don't think it's objectively one of the best openings. I would be willing to argue that it's objectively one of the best films of like the past 20 years. Um, so I know that's a big claim. That's a big, really big claim, but I would be happy to defend that. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful cinematography, absolutely gorgeous. Also, I'm slightly biased just because I, that, like I said, that aspect ratio of making me think of Murnau immediately. I love that aspect ratio um, and it's so rare. Um, I can't think of another film that's used that since the thirties maybe. Um, Cause you know, usually if something's going to go for an old school look, they're going to go for four by three or the Academy ratio, you know, all those old square ones, but nothing uses 1.33, nothing except for the lighthouse. And I loved it for it. Um, I think that's all I have to say about that opening. Oh, actually, um, the, one of the things is I, I remember in the opening, I was, when I was watching the director's commentary, uh, in theaters, I remember thinking, uh, 
the op when you see the lighthouse for the first time on the island thinking that looks like a miniature did they use a miniature for this and in the commentary the director goes that looks like a miniature but that actually wasn't <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he's like that it's he's like that's just an actual shot of the island and it just looks like a miniature so i thought that was kind of funny that i was thinking exactly what he thought about it and did think it was a miniature anyways yeah that's that's definitely all i have to say about it now and you need to watch it maggie <laughs> so we watched wandavision like what three hours ago yeah and um yeah so episode eight came out last night and it it was good like it was really good i just we didn't feel like we had a lot to say on it yeah um it was mostly recap and exploring characters traumas in the past yeah um so we can't really talk about it that much without going into spoilers or by being so vague that it's essentially meaningless to talk about. I also think it wasn't as, it was definitely like interesting and intriguing and like I enjoyed it, but I don't, I think because I already knew what happened in these, mm-hmm. I guess, um, I won't say the spoiler, but like when she's a kid and they go back, we didn't know mm-hmm. that, but I think some of the thing, the, um, well, we knew the events, broad strokes. Yeah, some of the events that they go back to in the past, like you already knew about. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's why that might be a reason why I don't have much to say on it. It was it propelled the story very little. It didn't not propel it at all because it did add some stuff uh, and moved some things forward. But there was only maybe one or two scenes that actually moved the story forwards. The rest of it was like like we said, exploring past stuff. Yeah, it definitely did not meet the same pacing as the previous Mm -hmm. episodes. It was longer, too. Uh, It was 10 minutes uh, Mm-hmm. and uh oh yeah and it didn't it didn't add anything to monica rambo's story um which whether we had a big reveal about her in the last episode and in this one well obviously they're gonna like probably the next well, episode or yeah. something it just felt but, strange to follow up such a big reveal about her with ignoring her yeah and also we didn't get a like she's still in the same time period of the last episode right I know, I think she goes been... into the base. Yeah, she goes into the basement. Right. Remember at the end of the last episode, and then she goes, starts yeah. from there. Yeah, so Wait, she's still in the same one. When so they went it's... outside, were they in a new one, though? Because they were the they 90s. They didn't go outside. Yeah, at the they end of the episode. They went through a doorway. At the end of the episode, they were outside again. Remember with the kids? Yeah, that was the same. That was the same time period? Yeah. Okay. I, I so I think that... that uh, because they didn't change it again. Like every episode they changed the time period. So I think maybe because they didn't change it, it yeah. felt a little um, different. They're still in the 2000s, right? Yeah. yeah. Cause... Not diff- It was just like, I expected a, a different time period. So I mm-hmm. think because they didn't switch to it, it just felt like not as... WandaVision-y? Yeah. Or just, I don't want to say not interesting. It wasn't shot just... like a sitcom this time. So we're watching this because it got really good reviews and it was just seemed interesting, especially with uh, hearing about how they were going to go through all the different uh, eras of television, which they have done. And I like it a lot. It's fun to explore just as a, from a filmmaker's perspective, seeing how they replicate each um, episode with a different era of TV. Um, how about you, Mags? What did you find most drawing you to this or was it the same? The same thing. The yeah. Same. I like seeing how they they um, like paid homage to a lot mm-hmm. of different TV shows from the past, like 
The Office, Modern Family, most recently in the past episode, and then Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone, uh, Dick Van Dyke, mm-hmm. and I can't think of the other ones. Yeah, and the, but and the, I just like how they went back to different TV show styles and stuff. Yeah, very much so. And um, if you are on the fence about checking the show out, guys who are listening. Um, Oh, because yeah, okay, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, Go so if, if you're on the fence because you're like, I don't know, I don't like Marvel that much, mm-hmm. or I'm just not into superheroes, um, me and Mags may be into Batman, but we're not really big Marvel people. Yeah, um, not at all. Yeah, I don't like Marvel movies, like not Marvel movies, but I don't like, I'm not crazy about the Avengers. Yeah, I haven't seen Endgame or Infinity War or Civil War, I haven't seen a single movie that Scarlet Witch was in. So, <laughs> me either. So uh, I think I saw parts of Endgame, but I haven't seen any of the other ones. Yeah, so you don't have to be a Marvel fan or even uh, a Scarlet Witch fan ahead of time to enjoy this because I wasn't, and I like it yeah. very much. And you also don't have to have like pre-existing knowledge from those mm-hmm. movies if you haven't seen them. Yeah, if, like there's nothing that obviously they pay they they call back to a lot of stuff from those movies and backstories mm-hmm. and all that. But I don't think it's necessary to understand the story. I think everything that is necessary to understand, they will explain. Like, for example, yeah. with Vision being um, dead in the backstory, uh, they have a character at one point, like, explicitly say, like, oh, yeah, Vision was killed by Thanos. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay. If it's not in the story, it's in the dialogue. Like, yeah. they just have it there. Yeah, so um, in, if you don't know the backstory, you'll you'll figure it out. They definitely catered it to that, too. Like, they knew there was going to be people watching it that you know, mm-hmm. weren't familiar with the other movies. Exactly. So definitely check it out because it's a really good show. Like really good. Very well done. Yes. Regardless if, if you like Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Some people I know, uh, I've heard some people that after the first two episodes, they didn't really see where it was going. Um, you'll like that later on. Yeah. So you'll like the fact that the first couple of episodes don't feel like they're going anywhere because yeah, also, story relevance. That's why. Yeah, some people don't like black and white. Like they see black and white and they're like, no, no thanks. Not, I'm just gonna turn it off. It, just don't don't base it off of that. Mm-hmm. I would watch at least three episodes. Yes. Um, it's also nothing just, like what you think. Yeah. Like you've, yeah. All right. I think that, that wraps it up for this episode, right? Thanks for listening to our podcast, Directors on Tap. As always, you can check out our Instagram and Twitter pages at Directors on Tap to see some updates and get behind the scenes content. Join us next week for more film talk. 